We all right? All right. We are in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Uh, I expected to be almost done with this series by now. And the uh, children decided, the older children decided to stay in and start asking questions, brilliant questions. And so we're only in chapter 10, right? But that's all right. And then the holy days get in the way as well. They don't actually get in the way. They, they're the high points, right? So in uh, Matthew, the, to remind you, chapter 10 is the uh, Jesus sending out his disciples. The first part of the chapter names the, the apostles, the disciples, and then he sends them out on this little preliminary uh, trip. But in the context of that, the words of Jesus begin to address not only that immediate trip, but ministry in general. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, and you are going to be persecuted. And he goes on into what really becomes a pattern of ministry. And we got up to uh, uh, verse uh, 23, where uh, when, at the height of persecution, uh, Jesus says, you don't resist. When they persecute you in a city, go to the next city. You will not have completely gone over all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Meaning, one of two things. The cities of Israel proper, which some commentators think that it's talking about that. And others of us, so I'm including myself in this one, See the cities of Israel as all the diaspora. In other words, you will flee to where there are fellow believers somewhere in the world. And you will not have reached all the places where Israel is dispersed before I will call them back in and bring them back in that gathering. And of course the Gentiles will be gathered with Israel in that time. Uh, those of us who call on the name of the Lord as Isaiah uh, tells us. So I think that's what he's talking about. So now he's going to address the issue of discipleship and rewards. I think this is an important uh, passage for us to, to be aware of. So in verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim in the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Are, you, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? For the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Now, I want to talk about this section before we go on. Jesus begins with a statement that I really didn't understand um, when I first read it and, and even after people explained it to me. A disciple is not above his teacher or a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the servant like his master. Um, when I got into jujitsu, I realized that 
it was a form of discipleship. There were the philosophical schools of discipleship, Plato and Socrates in the West. In the Far East, the martial arts were part of those discipleship systems. And in the Middle East, the discipleship systems were those of Judaism and Christianity. And these systems are built on a master teacher, who's the founder of the system. And then the teachers teach, and a master will teach his disciples. And they, their goal is not to exceed their master. Their goal is to be like him. To understand what he understands, and know what he knows, and be able to teach the next, next group of students. In the case of Judaism and Christianity, the children and the converts that come to us are to be instructed in this uh, system of the Master. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, all that I have taught you, you teach when you make disciples, right? Make go, as you go in the world, make disciples, te- baptizing them and teaching them all that I commanded you. It's interesting, we live in a time when people say, well, I'm going to be better than my teacher, right? I'm going to be better than my master. Now, Jesus did say, the things I do, you will do, and greater things you will do because I go to the Father. The reference there is because the Holy Spirit will be able to indwell all the believers, and so the presence of God will be manifest in more than just the place where Jesus was embodied at that time. Uh, greater there is not the idea that, that we're going to be superior to Jesus. Um, uh, but the idea is that we want to be like our master. It's important in discipleship that you try to teach all because you don't know what the next generation is going to need. So there is not only the learning of the tradition. I learned this in, again in jiu-jitsu. We had to learn the arts exactly the way they had been done by Professor Okasaki who began this thing. But then, because we didn't live when he lived, we didn't live where he lived, we had to adapt that somewhat to our own environment. And that's exactly what discipleship is. We learn the traditions of the fathers and the rabbis so that we understand it in its original context. And then we're careful as we adapt to adapt to the circumstances that we have to face here without losing the essence of what the, what the teachings are. And in that sense, we become like our master. But we're like our master in another way. Jesus goes on to say, if they've called me names, they're going to call you names. If they've rejected me, they're going to reject you. If they have treated me with disdain, they will treat you with disdain. You are not above your master. It's interesting to me because I am hearing more and more among Christians, uh, we're going to change the world. There's, there's almost a post-millennial default that is showing up. The post-millennial doctrine is the idea that the gospel will alter the world, change the world so that the world gets better and better and better, and the kingdom of God will simply manifest itself, and then Jesus will return to a world that has been changed. That's not the biblical uh, story. The biblical story is that when Jesus returns, it looks like God's people have just about had it. And yet he will come, he says, those days will be shortened because 
If not, the elect would not be saved. And so the idea is that the world is not going to get better and better and better because of the gospel. The gospel is a call to those who walk in darkness to come into the light and wait for the kingdom to come and and be a community of faith in that context. So if they mistreated Jesus, they are going to mistreat us as well. So he says then to us, don't be afraid of them because everything is going to be revealed, everything's going to be known. Uh, So what I tell you in the darkness, you speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. In other words, when God teaches us, we are to make sure that we proclaim what God says without fear. Because the worst they can do to us is kill the body. Now, I want you to think about that. That doesn't sound very good. Well, what's the worst they can do? Well, they can kill you, right? Well, but we know the rest of the scriptures. Absent from the body is present with the Lord, right? So the worst they can do is get you to the Lord quicker. That's the, they don't have the ultimate judgment that can put body and soul in Gehenna. And so Jesus says, they can't give you anything that is permanent. Don't worry about that. Don't fear them in that context. Um, Then he says uh, this phrase that is uh, very familiar to us. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet one of them does not fall to the ground apart from your father. That verse bothered me when I was a new Christian. We would sing his eye is on the sparrow and I thought it was great. But it sounded like his eye is on the sparrow so that nothing bad will happen to the sparrow. He feeds the birds. He takes care of them. They're all right. Jesus doesn't say that here. He says not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing. No thing happens in your life. That God is not aware of. It doesn't mean he will do something about everything that's in your life. But he knows. And my view is that if God needs to do something to accomplish his eternal purpose, he will do it. And if he doesn't, he might do it. You hear the difference? If he needs to do it for his eternal purpose, he will perform a miracle and raise the dead. He might do that even just to be glorified, but he's not certain to do that because God is not working on this world, he's working on the next. Everything he's doing here is preparing us for the next, right? And the scripture is pretty clear about that. Now, if I was on the committee, I might advise God differently, but I have followed some of my own advice and I don't recommend it to anybody. I'm certainly not going to recommend it to God, right? So, the idea here is that you're of more uh, value than the sparrows, for the very hair of your head are numbered. In some of our cases, that's a part-time job for whoever's doing that, but the idea is there. That is an intimate knowledge of us that God knows that. God knows your heart rate. He knows your blood pressure. He knows all those things. That's how well He knows us. And despite that intimate knowledge of us, he loves us with an everlasting love. Therefore, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in that sense.
So that's really important. I'm going to stop the tape at this point. Okay, this issue of the disciple is not above his master. Theoretically, in the discipleship system, the master is the one who had all knowledge of what was going on. So the best a person could get was to be like his master. Now, in the West, we believe in progress. And we believe that people can actually get better. They do get better in the adaptation, but they don't get better than the original master in in the sense that uh, there was something unique and uh, uh, original that is done there. This is all adaptation, right? So even, you know, we used to say the words, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So if it looks like I'm more advanced... I'm only advanced because I'm standing on this, right? So part of that is humility, and that's what Jesus is talking about. But he's bringing it up specifically because he wants to say, I'm the master. I know everything. I can do all these things, and they abuse me. You think you're going to be above that? You're not. So I think his direct issue is, I was mentioning that to address the, the humility mindset. But I think Jesus is bringing it up to say, if I am the master of all and the creator, and they treat me this way, how do you think they're going to treat you? Yeah. Okay, this issue of the disciple is not above his master. Theoretically, in the discipleship system, the master is the one who had all knowledge of what was going on. So the best a person could get was to be like his master. Right Now, In the West, we believe in progress. And we believe that people can actually get better. They do get better in the adaptation, but they don't get better than the original master in in the sense that uh, there was something unique and uh, uh, original that is done there. This is all adaptation, right? So even, you know, we used to say the words, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Right? So if it looks like I'm more advanced, I'm only advanced because I'm standing on this. Right? So part of that is humility, and that's what Jesus is talking about. But he's bringing it up specifically because he wants to say, I'm the master. I know everything. I can do all these things, and they abuse me. You think you're going to be above that? You're not. So I think his direct issue is, I was mentioning that to address the, the humility mindset. But I think Jesus is bringing it up to say, if I am the master of all and the creator, and they treat me this way, how do you think they're going to treat you? Yeah. It's that uh, the best I can do is get you to where my knowledge of the Lord is. This is why we need community, because others can help you in areas that I can't help you. I can help people in areas that others can't, because we're growing as a body. But ultimately, we're growing into the image of Christ, right? And He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and therefore, how are you going to improve on that, right? So I I do think that's an important part of of this as well. Jesus is the Master, I'm just a pastor, right? My job as a father and as a pastor is to help my children and members of my congregation to learn this faith and do this faith to the best of our ability. 
but the one who sets the pace and the one who is the judge of all things and the one who is the origin, the first and the last of all that, is Jesus. So it would be better for us to refer to those who are teachers, not as masters, right? In, in the martial arts, they call somebody a master. Uh, okay, but the idea is they're really not the, what, what in Japanese is called the O-sensei, the, the one primary sensei, teacher, right? Jesus is the ultimate teacher, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate pastor, right? We are all um, uh, shadows of that, right? So we do the best we can as fathers and as pastors and as teachers, uh, but we're never going to match Jesus in that until the kingdom comes when he brings us to fullness. Okay, the question is about verse 27. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim uh, upon the housetop. I think that 27 goes back to uh, verse 19. When they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. It is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So I believe that what will happen at the time of this ultimate persecution is that the Lord will do many of the things that we have seen before in the book of Acts and in uh, other times when... Uh, the Lord speaks directly to his people. Now, he will not be revealing a new book of the Bible, but he will tell them what to say in, or tell us if we're there, what to say in that context. I'm fascinated by that because verse 27 says, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim in the housetop. I believe that this is audible. Paul heard a voice, the people around him didn't. The Bible talks about the Lord's not in the whirlwind, he's not in the storm, he's in the still small voice. Now most of us have been taught that the still small voice is that little voice we hear in our mind. That's just your mind thinking. And you know that if you've ever prayed silently, sometimes the words are not what they should be, right? This is not a still small voice, it's a whisper. So you could hear a thunderous voice of God and you could hear a whisper. You actually will hear the whisper of what you're told now to proclaim loudly. It's being told to you quietly. It's being told to you in the dark so that you will be the voice of it in the light and out loud from the housetops. That's what I think that verse is, is talking about. Yes, So, so the question is, what about this thing when we're reading, we're studying, and all of a sudden we get kind of aha. All of a sudden it becomes clear to us. Biblically, that's called illumination. Uh, the the uh, theologians use the word illumination for the, the spirit giving us a sense of understanding. That's not the same as... Uh, this. In other words, uh, one is to understand what is written, and the other is to say something at the time and the moment. So I think that they're different. Obviously, they're both coming from the Spirit in that sense. The danger of 
being careful, and I appreciate you saying, well, it's not special revelation, is the danger here is we get those ahas sometimes when we're studying math or history, right? And I'm not sure that's God whispering at us, right? So I want to I treat this a little more literal that this is, this is a voice of God at the moment of the persecution. And if you've read about the martyrs, they seem to, at times, have a connection that we don't seem to get. And I think that's what Jesus is promising. Don't worry about that. It will be the Holy Spirit. You will, be, you will know what to say, and you, you will be able to do that. All right, so let's move on to the next part. I can finally get out of chapter 10. Um, uh, this is another uh, verse that doesn't... Well, the first part gets preached a lot, but the other doesn't. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now, that verse has to be tied to what we just read. Who will deny him? Those who don't really believe. Because those who believe, he will reinforce and assure, right? In other words, this is not a deal of us, but it's preached often. Now, you, you better say something, because if you don't, if you deny him, right? Um, even Peter denied the Lord, but the Lord told him ahead of time, this is a temporary denial, you'll return to me, right? Uh, so, be careful about letting some of these verses say things that they don't. The idea is that when we are under this persecution and the Lord reinforces us, then we are to proclaim what's there even at the cost of our life. Right. So now the part that's more difficult and doesn't get preached often. Verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. Jesus says in Matthew 23 that when this great persecution happens, brother will betray brother to death. Family members are the ones that will turn each other in, in that persecution, to save their own soul. Now think about it. Who betrayed Jesus? One of the twelve. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't some Sadducee who got irritated and said, I'm going to betray Jesus. They were already after him. This was one of his own. This is one who didn't understand the love one another passage. So he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. The idea being that our persecution will reach even into our own family and our close friends. And that's why I believe that it's important that we learn how to see who is struggling with faith and who is just giving a facade of faith. Because the first ones to turn on us will be those who are not. It will be difficult even among those who believe 
not to turn on each other. Because Satan loves to get us to believe a lie and sow discord among the brethren. And so that, that's an important part of this. So it's important for us to understand that this is not a matter of blood and family is first. Christ is first, family is second in that sense. And that we are not going to see the world coming to peace, but we are going to see persecution even to the point where we might turn on one another. That's a pretty serious thing. That means that our discipleship cannot be this little shallow issue is or issue ain't God's baby. You said the magic words, now go your way. It's got to be a faith that we live and we practice in the home. We live and we practice in the congregation. And you guys know it because you practice it in the home. And it's not a pretty thing sometimes. Had you practice it in here, it's not always a pretty thing. We struggle because we all are flesh. We all... have bad days. We all struggle with our sin. And so the the issue here is for us to grow in grace and in knowledge, become mature in the faith, so that even if we are at odds with one another, we know whom we have believed. So uh, we've got one little section left, but I want to stop it there and see if there are any questions about that. You're going? All right. So the question was, why do people preach, you confess me before men, I'll confess you to the Father, but they don't preach, your enemies will be of your own household. I don't think anybody wants to hear that message. That's what I think is going on. We live in a time when most of the preaching, when, when I was your age, so I was very little, people preached about the anger and the wrath and the the... The judgment of God. Okay, So most of us were pretty afraid. You know, God was just up there waiting for us to mess up and he was going to get us. Then in the 60s, when I became a teenager, the message changed to God's love without the judgment. So with judgment without the love, now love without the judgment. Well, the uh, this is as far as they can get to judgment is don't deny him because he'll deny you. Uh, but they don't want to go into your family may turn on you, right? So I think that's the reason. All right, any others? Okay, we're still running. So I'm going to go on then. So the last uh, three verses of this chapter, and we're actually going to get it, right? He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, this is really important. Jesus is sending his disciples out. You recall, if you remember the beginning of this chapter several weeks ago, you go into a city You find who's worthy, you go into that house, and they take care of you. If they treat you good, let your blessing be upon the house. And if they treat you bad, shake the dust off your feet, take your blessing with you. If the city treats you bad, shake the dust off your feet and go. The judgment will be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. So here what we have is, when you go in the name of the Lord to minister or to care for someone in the name of the Lord, 
if they receive you as that, they are actually receiving the Lord. And if they're receiving the Lord, they're receiving His Father. In other words, we become an extension of God in ministry to other people. But to those who reject you, they are rejecting Jesus who sent you and God who sent Him. You following that? Now, he's not saying take it out on them. He's saying just leave your peace and God will deal with that. Now, this means uh, two things. It means that uh, those who come in the name of the Lord appropriately are to be received appropriately because we are receiving the Lord. Those who come in their own name, those who come using the name of the Lord, are to be rejected. Because we then become partakers in their sin. So this is a two-edged sword. We receive those who know the Lord. And we reject those who make merchandise of the word of God. And and those kinds of things. Now that means that depending on who you run into in the body of Christ. If you run into a prophet. And you care for that person you will receive a reward commensurate with that profit. Paul talks about this. When the Thessalonians were giving him money, he said, I don't really need the money. I'm going to work and I've worked at night to do it. But I want your participation in the gospel so that you will receive the reward. They will receive the reward of an apostle if they enable the apostle to do his ministry. Now, I don't mean the total reward of Paul, but in the part that they help him, they become equal with an apostle in helping and will receive a reward to that. Now, if you help a false apostle, you will receive the judgment of that false apostle. If you receive a righteous man, as a righteous man, you will share in that righteous man's righteousness. If you receive an unrighteous man, pretending to be a righteous man, you will receive his judgment. And then he says, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, he's talking about a, a immature believer who's just starting their way, but they're along the road with us, a cup of cold water, he will not lose his reward. So I want to tell you a story. Some of you know this story. Uh, I was in Jerusalem I had walked around Jerusalem for several days, close to a month. I'd walked everywhere. I had gone up on a pretty warm day up the Mount of Olives. And I kept saying to myself, how did these guys, these disciples, walk up and down this mountain all the time? And then I realized that I was older than them, right? So that was part of it. I was also carrying stuff and that. So I got back down and right across from the Mount of Olives, the Temple Mount is sitting here, the Mount of Olives is sitting here, and right in the middle of this little valley is a bus stop where you can sit and see the Church of All Nations and the Garden of Gethsemane. So I'm sitting there, dehydrated, thinking I'm going to die, waiting for my bus that will take me back to the hotel on the other side of Jerusalem. And I am really, I can't walk anymore. I can hardly talk. I'm a mess. And sitting next to me was this very tiny old nun. Now, I mean old nun. 
she had the habit on with the black. I don't know how she did that in the heat. And she, her lips and her nose and her chin stuck out with a little wart and some hairs. She looked like the guy in uh, uh, the Emperor in Star Wars. You know. I think she was there the night of the, the Last Supper. I mean, she was a very, very old nun. And she looked over at me with this pruned face. And I'm just, I'm like a drowned rat, right? She looked at me. She looks back. She looks at me again. And she must have thought, this kid's going to die, right? So she opens up her bag, reaches into it, and pulls out an orange and hands it to me. Now, I haven't eaten an orange since I was a kid. I don't like peeling them. I don't like getting the junk on my hand. But when she gave me the orange, it was cold. She must have had ice in her bag or something, right? Or she was Mary Poppins. I don't know, right? So she hands me that orange, and I took that orange, and I split that open. That was the best-tasting orange I ever had in my life, okay? And that lady became my mother in a moment. Here was halfway across the world from where I lived, giving me not a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. She knew what I was doing. I was doing all the tourist stuff. And here she was ministering to me with this, this orange. She'll be rewarded for that. I believe that. It's not big and... We want to do big and mighty things for God. It's these little things that matter. So there's a song that, I don't think we've sung this song in years. Um, uh, the words go, I traveled down a weary road and no one seemed to care. The burden of my weary heart had brought me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And these are the words that he spoke to me. I left my home in glory and counted it but loss. My hands were nailed in anger upon the cruel cross. Be faithful, weary pilgrim. Your journey's end, I see. Take up your cross and follow me. The last verse always affects me. <clears throat> oh, Jesus, if I die upon some foreign field someday, would be no greater sacrifice, no less could I repay. I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to thee. These are the words my Savior said to me. If just a cup of water I place within your head, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. So if by death to living they can thy glory see, I'll take my cross and follow close to thee. We don't have to do great things to God. We need to be faithful to a great God. And if we are faithful in the small things, we will be faithful in the large things because he is able to make us do it. We need to bring that song back in. That's a great, that's a great song. So, uh, we'll stop the tape. Any questions?